A lack of representation is the highest reported barrier to Indigenous, Black, and people of colors in the Canadian live music industry. Closing the Gap is a research study led by the Canadian Live Music Association that provides evidence on the nature of inequalities experienced by IBPOC live music workers and actionable policy recommendations to improve representation in the live music industry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for this historic and very special occasion. My name is Erin Benjamin. I am the president and CEO of the Canadian Live Music Association, and I'm here in my home in the beautiful city of Ottawa, Ontario, on the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Anishinaabe Algonquin Nation, whose presence here reaches back to time immemorial. So I want to thank all of you uh, for taking a few moments out of your busy lives to be with us here today as we finally get to share the findings of the Closing the Gap research. You're going to hear all about it as we move through today's program, but just before we get to that, I would like to speak briefly about why this project matters, about why we undertook the work when we did, which happened to be at the hardest time in the history of our industry. This project came together and unfolded in real time as the CLMA battled and continues to battle the impacts of COVID. Many of you here today know that. You also know the very small team, five scrappy overachievers on a passionate mission to help our beloved community emerge from this crazy time better. Better doesn't just mean open for business anymore, or having survived the last two years. Better definitely doesn't mean status quo. Better means more excellent. Better doesn't just happen. We undertook this work because it's our responsibility as the National Association to provide the kinds of tools and resources that help us all to be better. And not engaging head on would surely have been a wasted and missed opportunity, especially at this time in our history. The Closing the Gap research adds to mounting volumes of irrefutable data, statistics, and information, all of it in our hands now. Stories from our own community helping us to get into the actual work ahead. If you will permit me a personal observation, good leadership is about surrounding yourself with smart people. And you're going to meet a whole bunch of them today. These, uh, these are folks like my teammates who lift the weight of the world over their heads every single day. Maddie Oliver, Caitlin O'Brien, Alex Kenzel, and people like Nicole Auger. Nicole, could you turn your camera on, please? So people like Nicole, who from the day I met her, has impressed, inspired, and pushed me. She is the reason we're here today. She, the team, all of the funders and organizations and contributors who believe in this work and who have collectively brought us to this moment, I want to thank you all and Nicole on behalf of the entire Canadian live music industry as your boss, as your friend, as your biggest fan, and in front of everybody watching today, you are the future of our industry. 
And I believe that history will look back on today as a truly meaningful turning point. You have given this work everything you have, and it shows. The universe brought us together for many reasons, and we're grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with you, to help close the gap and open doors as we seek together to authentic, authentically foster an inclusive, equitable live music community. So with that, let's begin. Um, hopefully you can all see the Q&A option at the bottom of your screens, whether you're your media or industry or just a fan, please submit your questions as we go along. And at the end, we will as a group respond to as many as we can. So friends from across the country, it is now my extreme pleasure to formally welcome Nicole Oje, project manager with the Canadian Live Music Association and lead consultant on Closing the Gap. Over to you, Nicole. Oh, well, thank you so much, Erin. And oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to start talking through this now. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for the kind words. And uh, and I'm just so, so thrilled and grateful to be here. Um, so I want to, to introduce myself. Tanche Kiowao, Nicole Dishnikashin, Mitchik Nia, Anin, bonjour, bonjour, and hello, everyone. My name is Nicole Auger. I'm Métis on my mother's side of Haudenosaunee, Niska, and French ancestry, and French on my father's side. I've worked uh, as a project consultant for the Canadian Live Music Association over the past two years, and I'm also a member of the team at the Indigenous Music Alliance. It is my great pleasure and honour to welcome you all here today to join us for the launch of the CLMA's Closing the Gap study. And I don't want to take too much time off the top to speak about the project, as I'm so excited to introduce and hear from our amazing project team. Uh, but I do want to take a few moments to walk through the event today and acknowledge and thank all of the incredible people who helped to make this project possible. So over the next hour, we'll hear from some of our key community partners and advisors, followed by a presentation of the key findings and recommendations by our project authors, Alana Stewart and uh, Kim Delat as well as a, um, a contribution by project advisor, Alan Gray-Eyes. We're also thrilled to welcome Julian Taylor, who will join us for a few words and share a very special performance with us following the presentation. As Erin mentioned, time permitting at the end of the event, we'd also like to provide an opportunity to address a few media questions. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the project, please uh, reach out by email. We would love to hear you. Um, so we'll take a few moments and uh, thank our key project funders and partners without whom we could not have done this. So first off, we would like to gratefully acknowledge the support of Factor and the Government of Canada, Creative BC and the Province of BC, as well as Ontario Creates. We would also like to say a huge thank you to all of our project partners. One of the most amazing parts of this project for me was seeing live music organizations from each and every province and territory of all different sizes come together and recognize the importance and value of this work. This was demonstrated not only through financial support to ensure we realize this project in a meaningful way, but even more so through um, the time and thoughtful contributions from each of our partners throughout every step of the project and the significant impact and extent of our reach as a result of that support. I want to take a few moments as well to thank our project team, especially our project authors, Alana Stewart and Kim Delat, and the incredible team behind this report. Elise, Merrick, Sienna, 
Freddie, Zena, and Madison, as well as the teams at Archipel Research and Consulting and Nordicity. And of course, a huge thanks to Stephanie Chang for contributing the beautiful illustration that you'll see in the report. While they're not listed here, the CLMA team has, as usual, been working furiously behind the scenes to help make this happen. And they have all dedicated enormous, enormous amounts of hours on top of all the other work that's taking place in the organization to ensure that through all of this and through all of the urgent priorities and challenges still facing our sector, this project and the importance of this work continue to move forward with the time and care it needed. So a huge, huge thank you. Words are not enough, but for now, a huge thank you to Aaron Benjamin, Maddie Oliver, Caitlin O'Brien, Alex Kenzel, and a special thank you also to Melanie Brule and Brina Knott. While they may not be working with us currently, they were such a huge part of making this happen and will always be a part of the CLMA family. We couldn't have done this without you. And finally, um, while this project is being released by the CLMA, this really has from the start been a project driven by and for community. And I want to give a very special acknowledgement to all of the community partners and advisors who contributed to this project. And most importantly, to all of the artists, organizations, and members of the live music community who shared their stories and experiences with us. We've worked to the best of our ability to reflect and honor your stories in this report. And I want to say merci, chimiguech, masicho, nakwamik, merci, and thank you to each and every one of you. So with that, it is my great pleasure to kick off the event and introduce our first speaker. She is a powerhouse leader in our industry who is not only creating impactful change within her organization and membership, but truly embodies this commitment in everything she does through her own work and in holding organizations and individuals accountable as they walk their own paths through this critical work in our industry. Kezia Myers currently uh, resides in Takaranto on the lands of the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is the executive director of Advance, Canada's Black Music Business Collective, and a recent recipient of the Globe and Mail Changemakers Award. It has been my great privilege and honor to work with Advance throughout this process, as well as working with all of our wonderful community partners. And I'm so excited to grow our partnership and continue this important work together. So please welcome Kezia Myers. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for the introduction, Nicole. Uh, the feelings are mutual. It has been an honor uh, to work with the Canadian Live Music Association and yourself uh, on this project. I'd first like to take a moment uh, to commend the Canadian Live Music Association on the completion of this study and report. I also would like to highlight again, uh, Nicole, for your incredible work as project lead, and to highlight Aaron Benjamin, the CEO and president of CLMA. It is great to see steps being taken and a light shone upon the shortcomings of the live music industry space, an opportunity to look at recommendations for improvement. As Canada's Black Music Business Collective, we are committed to leading the change within the music industry. To collaborate with all of you, my industry peers, to address bias, prejudice, and racial inequality. Advance took part in many aspects of this study to ensure that when there is a study about us, that we, it is developed with us. To that end, we will continue to collaborate with the Canadian Live Music Association in the work ahead. 
This study and report is a positive step in the right direction with actionable items that we are all encouraged to reflect upon and work towards. We know that artists don't all have the same performance opportunities. We recognize that all event, live event producers do not receive equal treatment. So as a collective body, it is imperative that this is addressed with change and togetherness in mind. We need to remain purposeful, intentional, and progress-driven. So what is an action that we can take now, you may ask? Why well, I would ask you all to look at your companies, your organizations, the staff within, and take note of the number of Black music industry professionals that you have employed. Advance has a job board that is updated bi-weekly, highlighting opportunities within the industry. If you haven't utilized this as a way to reach the Black community to diversify your workforce, please do so. And you can reach out to Advance. We will put it on a platform to ensure that you receive Black candidates that could be working within your organizations and companies. We also recognize that live event producers are few uh, that are Black within this space and want to ensure that venues continue to support live event producers of all cultural backgrounds. Effective change can come from hiring people and working with people from diverse cultural backgrounds. Let's work together to focus on ensuring that all people are treated equally, fairly, and are able to thrive within the live music industry sector. As Nelson Mandela says, we can change the world and make it a better place but it is in our hands to make a difference. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. I would now like to pass it on to Alan Grias. And uh, I can just find Thanks, Gezia. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I'm horrible with pronunciations. And uh, I'd like to also acknowledge um, Canadian Live Music Association, all the work they've done with this report, but also the pandemic. Um, I think we've uh, all been able to access, or many of us have been able to access a lot of great COVID relief resort, uh, re, uh, funds um, throughout the last two years. And it's been um, really important for us in the Indigenous community. I feel really uh, happy about, or, or I feel really proud about the fact that we, we we paid artists to do a lot of uh, online stuff over the last two years. And, and again, probably wouldn't have had those opportunities if it wasn't for the Canadian Live Music uh, Association. I also like to acknowledge the program officers that I've been working with at Canadian Heritage, Canada Council, Manitoba Arts Council, and the Winnipeg Arts Council for all of, all of their support um, when we've had to make changes, multiple changes throughout the last year to our pro projects. Um, this, this report is really great. And I've had a chance to like read um, a draft of it. And, and, and for me, it's, it's really driving home two main things. As an indigenous person working on the, uh, on the business side of the music industry and the live music sector, I always feel spread really thin. And uh, some of the highlights um, that I've noticed uh, tell me that I'm not, I'm not alone. I also uh, struggle with the ability to make promises making promises to private sponsors and making promises to artists well in advance of tour grant deadlines. And I, I feel like this, this, this report has already also reinforced or, or strengthened that position and shown me that I'm not the only one again. 
Um, I'm a firm believer that uh, nonprofits exist to make the world a better place. And um, I'd like to encourage a lot of the nonprofits that are listening, the nonprofit presenters that are publicly supported to take more chances. I'd also like them to, to work with us to address the gaps that are identified in this study. And, and lastly, I, I, I want them to have the advancement of the career advancement of um, Indigenous, Black, and people of color in mind when they're creating job descriptions. I think that's super important. It's our role in the, in, if we're a nonprofit, I believe it's our role to help people to, to take those next steps in their careers and not just hold them in our, in our organizations as long as possible. I think we need, we all need to have career advancement and the establishment of more gatekeeper, not gatekeepers, I guess, but more people in decision-making positions um, coming from our communities. Um, I'm going to be back to talk a bit about the calls for calls to action pretty soon. And uh, with that note, I'd like to hand it off to uh, Ian Andre Espiny, who's joining us from Scarborough. He's a co-founder of Breaking Down Racial Barriers, chair of the advocacy committee for advanced music, and owner of Iconic Arts and Entertainment, an independent live event production company specializing in black music and culture. He is author of the SEMA commissioned BDRB report on anti-black racism in the Canadian music industry and the BDRB declaration to end anti-black racism in the industry signed by over 500 companies and organizations. So with that, uh, please help me welcome Ian. Thank you, Alan. Um, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'd like to start by congratulating Aaron, Nicole, Maddie, and the Canadian Live Music Association team, and study authors Alana Stewart and Kim DeLatte on the completion of the closing of the GAP study. Uh, this study is of special interest and uh, personal relevance to me. Uh, on so many fronts, to be honest. Um, as the author of the recently published SEMA, SEMA commissioned BDRB report on anti-Black racism in the Canadian music industry, Closing the Gap represents yet another step in the much needed data collection and research required to properly unearth the causes of systemic racism and to assess the scope and intensity in the live sector of the music industry in Canada. This industry also, this uh, study also serves as a beacon to other organizations throughout the industry of best practices by involving members of systemically excluded groups in the process and not just the outcomes. As the owner of Iconic Arts and Entertainment as a, and as a 20 year veteran of the live music space, I can personally attest to the hardships faced, the lack of representation throughout the pipeline of live entertainment workers in both the private and public spaces the barriers and lack of opportunity for artists and music entrepreneurs in access to grant funding and resources and to the mild to blatant racism faced as an event producer simply attempting to secure venues. Sadly, I will say that despite much that has changed in the live space in the last two years since George Floyd, much has not where the venues in particular are concerned. This must change. Finally, as the Chair of Advocacy for Advance, Canada's Black Music Business Collective, I implore other organizations to follow CLMA's lead across the live music and creative sectors to continue the work to dismantle racism, working with community stakeholders such as Advance to create solutions. Myself, Click, and BDRB wholeheartedly urge you to read this report and to continue the work in your space, including signing the BDRB Declaration to End Anti-Black Racism in the Music Industry, available at bdrb.ca. Again, Congrats to CLMA on the release of this critical continuance of the work. 
This is integral to ending systemic racism against marginalized groups in the live music and creative industries in Canada. And with that said, I'd like to pass the, uh, the microphone uh, to Tehran Mayar. Uh, Tehran is uh, from Vancouver and he's the executive director of the 5X Festival and co-founder of Snakes and Ladders, a label that promotes South Asian talent. He's also a board member of the CLMA. Over to you. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for the introduction. Hi, everyone. I am uh, on, currently on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples in Vancouver. Uh, and before any of the music business, the music industry side of things, uh, before my festival, 5X Festival, before the record label, I was in a touring band for years and years. And um, this band was called Delhi to Dublin and played a crazy mix of Punjabi music and electronic music. And for years, over a decade, we, we've played over a thousand shows everywhere from Burning Man to Glastonbury. Um, and for anyone, and I'm sure that there's many on the call who have, who have experienced this, who have been in bands before, the first couple of years in a band are kind of like the honeymoon period where you're just like waking up in a different city every day and having fun and partying. And you're not really noticing that much around you. But it was only really year three or year four where we started to notice a pattern, especially in Canada. Um, no matter where we went, what festival we were playing, all of the organizers, I, I'm not going to totally generalize, but I'll say most of the organizers, most of the audience, most of the promoters, most of the record label execs, most of the agents we met were white. And this started to, to really kind of drive us crazy because we were like, why is this happening? Like we know South Asian people love music. It's not like our community doesn't like music, but unless we're playing in the community itself, like at a banquet hall or a wedding, there was no South Asian people around. And this makes even less sense in Vancouver and Surrey where some of the biggest South Asian pop stars ever, like people who are doing hundreds of millions of streams on their singles, we're not seeing those people reflected in gigs. To date, the only South Asian act that has ever played Vancouver's iconic Commodore, Commodore Ballroom is Delhi to Dublin. And so I think what's so powerful is that this study that we're about to hear about um, addresses some of this dissonance that many IBPOC people across the country working in the live music sector have felt for basically our whole lives. Like, why are we not seeing representation? Uh, in in the work environments in this 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 uh, this these environments that we're choosing to live in, and I think perhaps most powerfully it puts numbers and statistics to some of these phenomena that we're familiar with already, and we all know that it's the numbers that actually change policy. Um, so it's it's my sincere hope that the recommendations that are just an integral part of this powerful study. Um, that we can challenge ourselves to really embrace these recommendations and achieve our full potential as an industry. Um, I really want to, you know, congratulate the rest of the CLMA team to all of the different writers, to all of the different folks who have been a part of this massive study that's literally been, been uh, undertaken over the course of years and during a pandemic. Uh, my sincere gratitude and uh, really looking forward to the rest of this. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Thank you Tim, so much and uh, to all of our amazing community partners and advisors, your voices, knowledge and support have been vital to our ability to move this project forward in a good way and to be as inclusive of and to reflect as many voices and perspectives as possible. Thank you for everything that you all do on a daily basis.
And on that note, it is my immense pleasure to introduce our project authors, Alana Stewart and Kim Delat. Uh, I want to share just a, a little bit of context. So I first reached out to Alana back in August 2020, knowing her work as an artist, but having recently learned about her research in this area. And when we first began this process, we spent a huge amount of time in conversation uh, with different community members to help us better understand the complex issues and needs within our live music community. Uh, across the country. And this was a critical part of our learning journey, which continued as we strengthened and formed new relationships, heard from more voices and began to shape what this project would look like. And as these thoughts started to come together, I sat down with Alana to learn a little bit more about her research and to discuss on my end, you know, what was starting to turn into this wild sort of twisted web of a research question. And her, her response was, do you need some help with this? And, uh, and so Alana introduced me to her incredible research partner, Kim. Um, and it's been a journey and a short 20 month period together, but I'm so excited that we can finally share your important work. From day one, I have been so appreciative of your careful and respectful approach to these conversations and to holding this work to the highest degree of integrity and your commitment to uplifting the voices of marginalized communities in the music industry. So I am thrilled to introduce Alana Stewart and Kim Delat. Thank you uh, so much to Nicole and Aaron and the CLMA for hosting and to all of the speakers for sharing their insights today. It is a monumental task to present eight months worth of work in 15 minutes. But Alana and I did nevertheless want to echo um, acknowledgement of the brilliant contributors that helped us with the study. Annalise Hun, Merrick Tyler, Sienna Bowman, Freddie Monasteria, uh, Zina um, Mustafa, Madison Trusolino, Muna Osman of Archibald Consulting, uh, as well as all of the advisors. And we extend our warm thanks to the interview participants themselves who so generously shared their experiences with us. We also want to point out that throughout our presentation, we often refer to Indigenous, Black, and people of color, or IBPOC, live music workers, in the aggregate. This goes against the spirit of the project in a way, because it, the project seeks to amplify variation and difference in people's experiences and, you know, recognize that people's identities aren't necessarily neatly grouped into to categories, right? We want to work against this uh, box ticking imperative that uh, is such a part of our working lives and lived experiences. But we do this nonetheless because we want to protect respondents' anonymity and because we want to con convey statistical information, uh, which remains challenging to do so unless you present aggregate categories. And the fact remains that uh, there are some stark differences among all people of color and Indigenous folks compared to their white counterparts. And so we're going to seek to, to highlight some of the, those findings today. Also, we're going to be focusing on sources of inequality throughout our presentation for the practical reason that doing so more readily helps us to see what needs to change. But it's worth noting that we also uncovered sources of empowerment and community over the course of conducting interviews. And we're happy to speak about the positive aspects of community building being undertaken by members of the IPOC live music community in the Q&A. So this study consisted of economic and demographic survey data uh, collected and analyzed by Nordicity Consulting. 
And along with our team of researchers, we also conducted 40 in-depth interviews with IBPOC Live Music workers working in a variety of roles, which you can see on screen. And throughout the presentation, we will share data from both the surveys and the interviews. So to start things off, the survey data show that IBPOC Live Music workers are disproportionately represented as artists, as opposed to entrepreneurs and workers. This means that IBPOC artists do not have the opportunity to connect with people in behind the scenes roles that might be able to relate inherently to their genre of music and to their experiences. In addition, relative to their proportion in the population, they are underrepresented overall in the live music sector. IPOC live music workers do not earn as much as their white counterparts. They make on average over $11,000 less per year. Nordicity estimates that if IPOC live music workers and artists earned the same as their white counterparts, they would add an additional $202.2 million to the industry's annual GDP contribution. The survey data also revealed other sources of inequality. IBPOC respondents were eight times more likely to report working a part-time job outside of the live music industry. This means these people have less time to dedicate to their crafts or to forge connections through a related job within the industry. And IBPOC survey respondents also frequently cited items like high turnover rates and nepotism as barriers to workplace inclusion. You see a bunch of uh, information here on your screen, but I want to focus on one of the findings relevant to the indi various Indigenous communities. Uh, indigenous survey respondents were more likely to cite a fear of losing control over their stories and decision making as a barrier to accessing industry resources. This finding speaks to Indigenous people's experiences with cultural appropriation and cultural genocide. Because of this, uh, Indigenous respondents preferred to maintain as much control as possible over the artistic process. But as Alan suggests in his comments, with this comes increasing responsibilities and attention that has to be divided across multiple roles and domains. And this uh, can be very labor intensive. Oops. Survey data also demonstrate that the top four reported employment positions among white live music industry workers are gatekeeping positions, such as being a venue owner, a live event producer, a festival programmer, or promoter. And this matters because these are the roles that most directly lead to performance opportunities. So it would obviously be very helpful if they were distributed more equitably. In addition, funding remains a challenge for applicants, for IBPOC applicants for many reasons, including eligibility criteria and a lack of awareness of funding opportunities. And when we address our recommendations, which Elena is gonna to get to shortly, we will talk in more detail about some proposed solutions to leveling the playing field regarding access to funding. Inequality is not experienced uniformly across groups. The women of color we interviewed are especially underrepresented, both in the survey data and among the interview respondents. And this means, ironically, that they are more visible. They don't get to blend into the majority. 
the hyper visibility and underrepresentation of women of color live music workers led many of them to report feelings of imposter syndrome. The women of color we interviewed indicated that it took them much longer than their white peers to realize that they were just as capable to pursue careers in live music and particularly in, in technical roles. And because they got a later start on their training, their earnings trajectory are stunted relative to their counterparts, their, their male and white counterparts. Interviews also revealed what we refer to as a complicated relationship to whiteness. Whiteness in this context refers to the social and economic benefits afforded to people based on their proximity to power and status and decision-making authority. White and white-facing people are most likely to benefit from whiteness and are least likely to have their competence and expertise questioned. So for example, 51% of black respondents, 47% of people of color respondents, and 40% of indigenous respondents felt they had their qualifications or authority questioned over the course of their career. None of the white respondents indicated the same. Because of these types of patterns, many interviewees report code switching in an effort to fit in. Code switching is an adjustment in language or expressions to create comfort in others in exchange for access to resources. So it means, as one small example, it means policing oneself to ensure that you use the term soundscapes instead of beats on grant applications to ensure that your application gets a second look. Um, but in many bigger ways, it means suppressing authentic aspects of yourself. And over time, this can lead to stress and burnout. Now, this is just a fraction of the very many research findings, and we encourage you all to read the full report um, as an additional selling feature. We, are you all familiar with Cole's notes? Do you remember that they give, they give snapshots of, of, uh, of literary masterpieces? Well, we provide our own uh, Cole's notes version, a very nice, nicely laid out summary in the report. So we encourage you to read the full thing, but we also encourage you to read the, the summary that goes into more detail about the many findings that emerged from this study. But for now, I'm going to pass it over to Alana, who's going to present our recommendations. Thank you, Kim. Um, so now we have a clear picture of the issues permeating Canada's live music industry, which can be daunting to face. Um, I also think that it's important to recognize that those bearing the brunt of these issues, IPOC folks, may have some justifiable cynicism around the effectiveness of reports like this and actually creating meaningful change. I recognize that. Um, a positive to build on is that the majority of white survey respondents who are best positioned to make wider industry change shared that the primary reason they're working in the live music sector is to impact people's lives. So building on uh, that good intention, we're gonna share some recommendations. And as Kim said, you know, we all have limited time, we have limited capacity. So rather than go through every single recommendation, what I'm gonna do is share the underlying principles um, and some of the reasoning behind um, some of these recommendations and give you a bit of a snapshot of what you can find in the fuller report or the summary. Um, but before I get into it, we wanna be clear that, uh, well, we wanna be clear and we wanna be real about these recommendations. One report will not eradicate racism. That is just the truth. And inequality can't be addressed with an a la carte menu of to-dos and not to-dos. Instead, um, it could be more or would be more useful to view and approach these recommendations 
as ways to cultivate less harmful working relationships, how to create more opportunities to have a positive impact on the lives of IPOC workers, and perhaps a strong start to sparking industry shifts. So in saying that, let's get to it. We're gonna start with recommendations specific to the live music industry. And by that, uh, we mean the, the folks that help um, the live music industry operate on a day-to-day -day basis. So festival programmers, venue owners, agents, etc. So as Kim shared earlier, uh, IPOC workers largely rely on white gatekeepers to create career opportunities. Um, and the recommendations for this sector largely focus on encouraging those in power to first promote transparency, make known uh, resources, knowledge, opportunities uh, available um, to those who may not be in the know due to gatekeeping. So for example, uh, privately owned venues can make rental fees publicly available. And what this is meant to do is to curtail discrimination against booking genres where IPOC artists, workers, and audiences are more highly represented. Some participants reported that they were quoted higher rental fees uh, for booking hip hop shows. Uh, and second, industry recommendations address gatekeeping issues by opening access to market development opportunities and or uh, industry knowledge uh, through programs such as Behind the Board which offers paid live sound tech job shadowing for socially marginalized workers, especially women and non-binary um, sound techs. Our final recommendations um, address the mental health issues that are embedded into the broad live music industry. And this was actually a significant personal and career concern for all survey participants. So for POCs, Indigenous, Black folks and white folks alike. Um, so an example of uh, a way that we can address, a manageable way we can address um, mental health issues or shifting uh, the culture around mental health issues in the live music industry uh, could be, for example, venues providing a wider selection of non-alcoholic beverages or uh, financial compensation in lieu of complementary alcohol. So those are a couple of examples um, and some of the underlying principles behind the industry recommendations. Moving on to government and funding bodies, and this is significant because um, lack of funding was identified as one of the greatest barriers to advancing the careers and supporting the careers of IPOC workers. The issue is that there are barriers to that funding. And so this study has demonstrated the need to clear the pathway to funding for IPOC workers Presently, eligibility requirements, so restrictions on for-profit versus not-for-profit models, by invitation-only policies, uh, eligible expenses, language barriers, technology, uh, levels of literacy, et cetera, are all barriers to this funding. So again, being, uh, being real and being uh, practical, there is only so much funding available. So some eligibility criteria are necessary, but what the government and funding body recommendations address is how the processes and practices these criteria are founded on don't always account for the ways systemic racism may prevent IPOC workers from even applying, never mind receiving funding. So most applications, you have the, uh, the choice of applying in French uh, or English, which are Canada's official languages, but doesn't recognize the, uh, the colonial histories that established English and French as the official languages and negates the indigenous languages that preceded them. 
So what we've done is we've identified ways of disentangling uh, systemic uh, racism and colonial histories from funding body procedures. For example, uh, a program in existence that, that addresses this is the Toronto Arts Council's Newcomer and Refugee Artist Mentorship and Artist Engagement Program, which addresses the language barrier in the funding application process by providing program guidelines in the seven most widely spoken languages in Toronto outside of Canada's official languages. So overall, that's just an example, but overall, we encourage a deeper examination and a need-based prioritization where all public funds are concerned. Now there are shared recommendations for everyone. Um, and it's important to remember, we feel it's important to remember that addressing inequality is a long game. It's not enough to support early stage IPOC endeavors. Uh, the support must work towards promoting sustainable success and, and self-sufficiency for change to actually be sustained and meaningful. So for everyone, we recommend developing networking opportunities, mentorship programs, and more nuanced hiring and training initiatives to provide the necessary skills and resources needed for IBPOC workers to overcome barriers. Fractal, outsize, outsourcing uh, HR services, adopting a, a more than one rule, uh, so, yes, we're seeing more increased uh, racial and ethnic diversity uh, in, in positions of power, but uh, for folks in those positions uh, to feel safe enough to speak up and contribute uh, a diversity of thoughts and ideas, um, creating that sense of belonging by not having them be the only one um, is, a, is a, uh, a simple way of doing that probably more complex in practice, but um, is some low hanging fruit there. So overall, we're considering ways of not simply allowing APOC workers to survive the music industry, but also to thrive. And finally, uh, we have recommendations for ind indigenous, black and people of color. Uh, again, some clarity here is necessary. Reshaping workplace cultures to be safer and more inclusive for IPOC workers is not the responsibility of IPOC workers themselves. At the same time, making these recommendations assumes that folks want to change. And the truth is, some don't. But for those that do, and we do believe as the data backs up, most do want to see this change happen. Change is hard and it's slow. So in the meantime, Developing tools for self-empowerment and a repertoire of practices that enable IPOC workers to advocate for themselves may be necessary, albeit unfair. So this section, we're encouraging, uh, can, we're also encouraging ways of healing internalized forms of discrimination so that as IPOC workers are increasingly hired in leadership roles, adopted harmful processes, processes aren't being perpetuated. So overall, this section offers some community-centered ideas inspired by the study's findings that may help IPOC workers self-advocate, support each other, and create a sense of agency as they continue to grow in their careers. So that is a summary, um, a snapshot of the recommendations that we made. Um, I encourage you to read through the recommendations. And again, if you're strapped for time or capacity, you can access some of the recommendations in the report summary and then follow up with a deeper dive later. Thanks for listening. Uh, gonna welcome back Alan Grayeyes to share the calls to action that he contributed to the report. Thanks, Alana. 
So I'm not going to actually read through all the calls to action. I'm going to ask you all to maybe review them on your own. I think like the calls to action really come from the idea that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission introduced with their calls to action in 2015. And for me, I always felt like um, the arts has a larger role to play in truth and reconciliation in Canada. And so um, this started as kind of a, a, a passion for me. And uh, it's also a project that I've been working on with uh, the, uh, the team at the National Indigenous Music Office. I think that these really represent a lot of my experience and my perspectives. And I think we all, as a community, we all have so many uh, great other uh, things to add to this. And so again, this is coming from the perspective of a music presenter or a nonprofit organization. And the other thing I do is artist management. Before I, I jump into it a bit more, I just wanted to say again, just reiterate the fact that I'm spread really thin. And that's a result of us as an organization not having access to core or operating grants. We were incorporated in 2015, but um, because we didn't in like it, we didn't inherit operating grants, we didn't inherit audiences, we didn't inherit board members or organizational uh, memory. And so um, again, a lot of indigenous organizations across the country are in the same same boat as us. Um, many of our uh, counterparts in, in Canadian music industry were launched well before the closing of the last residential schools in Canada. And that gives us kind of some perspective on, on why the, the gap for us is so big. Um, that gap, uh, which is uh, a direct result of residential schools, means that, you know, our artists don't have the same financial uh, safety nets or support as our Canadian counterparts. And again, our organizations don't have the same level of um, uh, operating support. And because of those op the lack of operating support, our organizations can't make promises to corporate sponsors. We can't make promises to artists well in advance of um, uh, tour grant deadlines. And that's why we need the support of our present our, our presenting partners across the country. We need the folk uh, festival network to to make it a priority to to help our artists um, submit competitive uh, tour grant applications of the December deadline. I've always felt really bad uh, in my work as an artist manager and project manager. I've always felt really bad because we can't, uh, oftentimes we can't advance shows um, when those um, requests are made uh, for, for, for the summer touring months because we don't have the same access to, to credit. We don't have the same financial supports. And again, if we're not getting offers until after the December um, tour grant deadlines, we're not able to manage our cash flow as well. And so again, these calls to action are meant to um, give you some tangible things to, to, again, take action on, similar to what the TRC did um, across the country. And, and in closing, I'd also like to say that like the TRC calls to action, even though we're only mentioned in commemoration, uh, in terms of commemoration, like our, us as the arts have only mentioned in terms of commemoration, there has been a lot of great things that have come out of the calls to action. And uh, one of the biggest um, uh, benefits that I, I, I really uh, benefit from is um, the uh, creating knowing and sharing department at the Canada Council. And without that, like our organization definitely wouldn't have been able to survive the pandemic. Um, a lot of the artists that I work with, they hadn't, they wouldn't have been able to, to put together um, recording projects and, and, and other projects that compete with our Canadian counterparts. And again, my, my real belief with the arts is our main power is to educate Canadians. We, we have stages that, that host 
thousands or hundreds, if not thousands of people on any given night. And that's that's a, an incredible opportunity. And again, I just encourage you all to use your stages to challenge stereotypes and to show Canadians that Indigenous people are just as um, talented and special as their loved ones. Jamie Bradshaw, and thank you so much. And to Elena and Kim, I know that was an insane amount of information to try and deliver in uh, in just 15 minutes. And so again, uh, you know, as Elena and Kim mentioned, this is just a very brief snapshot of the contents in the report. So please take the time, read the full report. It is so worth it. And there's so much wonderful content in here that we can all learn from. Um, now we're going to shift gears and uh, we are very, very excited to welcome and feature a special performance by Julian Taylor. Julian is a Canadian award-winning uh, singer-songwriter of Mohawk and West Indian descent who began his career as a teenager playing at local open stages around Toronto. Equal parts troubadour and soul singer, Julian has carved his own path creating genre-free music with a generosity of spirit and a strong belief in the healing powers of song. And that to me has never been more true or important than it is right now. We've been so grateful, Jillian, for the work you've been doing to raise awareness of the ongoing impacts um, of the pandemic on our live music community. And we're so excited uh, that you were able to join us to share a few words as well as your beautiful music today. So everyone, please join me in welcoming Julian Taylor. Kelly Nicole, thank you. Merci beaucoup. My mom told me once that when my late Aunt Cindy was a little girl, that she used to get so excited when someone who looked like her came on the TV screen. She used to shout out loud and say, look, look, same as me, same as me, Ma. And that's so important. I don't know how important people realize that is. A big thank you to the Canadian Live Music Association for having me and for doing this work to Aaron, Maddie, Nicole, and everyone involved in creating this report. This is a beautiful moment and such important work. It's the first time in my career that I've seen anything like it and it makes me very proud. The definition of what music looks like and what it sounds like has always been very different. And to me, what music sounds like has always been the most important part of the message. It is after all a universal language. And uh, when I was asked to participate, um, one of the things that I, I, I mentioned was that while I understand the concept of having an all woman stage or an all indigenous stage or persons of color or an LGBTQ stage at a festival, I've always secretly wished that they weren't actually needed. And I know that the idea behind them is meant to be inclusive and come from a good place, but sometimes it doesn't always feel that way deep inside. And I hope that that doesn't sound harsh. I'd like to try to close the gap and try to get to a place where we may not need them because everyone is welcome on the main stage for what they do and not who they are culturally. I mean, I've been afforded many opportunities in my career as a result of this. And I think that uh, for me as a performer, closing the gap, and I love that title, uh, means slowly dispelling tokenism because it can also divide people. In reading the report, I felt that some of these concerns and so many more have been uh, looked at and are being addressed. And I'm, like I said, very proud. One of the other things that I noticed uh, and that I'm hopeful about is seeing more marginalized people in the live music workplace. After a 20 plus career, I can comment on how rare it's been to see those people. 
And I've had difficulty finding those people. Advanced Music's got their job postings, which is great. But hey, we'd all love to meet you. I'd love to meet you. And, and you know, if, you're, if there's sound men and women out there and uh, people that would like those kind of gigs, reach out. I'd, I'd love to meet you. So thanks again to uh, CLMA. It's an honor. And thank you to everyone for this important hard work that you're doing. To Alana and all of our speakers today, your contributions are invaluable. Your leadership is deeply, deeply appreciated. I would like to invite all of our speakers and team back on screen so that we can wrap up with a, with a thank you to everyone. Friends in the Canadian live music industry, you are looking at some of the hardest working people I've ever met. The most beautiful, the hardest working, the most inspiring, each and every one of you. I see no questions in our Q&A, so I'm going to finish by saying that the Canadian Live Music Association is already working on several initiatives guided by the recommendations, including ongoing and enhanced diversity, equity, and inclusion training for the sector, as well as what we, will ex we expect will become a national mentorship program to help foster new and collaborative relationships among many other priorities. As importantly, we hope that closing the gap will inspire you to take action directly, your organizations and your companies. And if you're already doing the work, we urge you to inspire others to follow suit. Share the report, which is now widely available, should be in your inbox and is most on our website. Amplify voices that need to be heard. Create the space for actionable change. And in doing so, you will be helping to close the gap. I think that is all we have. Nicole, do I get a thumbs up? Once again, friends from across the country and around the world, I can't thank you for being here with us today. To our amazing team for making this happen. This is when the rubber hits the road, the real work begins today. Thank you for your inspirational thoughts, words, writing, music, and we'll see you again very soon. Please download and read the report. The executive summary is at the top of it. It is weighty, heavy, but every word matters. If you have a story you'd like us to share, or communities we should highlight. Leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk. And have yourself a good one.